0: Hi, I'm Constance Derricks, and I'm about to have a productive conversation with Mike Vardy.
1: Welcome to a productive conversation. I'm joined today by Constance Derricks. I'm really excited to have this conversation. Uh, It it was, we had a lot of stuff that we chatted about before we actually started the recording. Um, Constance is known as the decision doctor. She advises boards and senior executives on consequential decisions and in crisis. So decisions is one of those things and deliberation and contemplation, all those things are related. I wanted to dive into this. Um, She's advised leaders in dozens of industries on five continents, notably helping them increase revenue, manage top level transitions, rapidly pivot strategic direction, and succeed in M&A 400% more often than the average. Her latest book is Meta Leadership, how to see what others don't and make great decisions meta leadership is a new paradigm to help leaders think differently use emotion to their advantage and act wisely we get into the concepts of dichotomous thinking where it fits in and where it needs to be we talk about the three dimensions of change Uh, We even talk about what the harm is of having the same breakfast and lunch every day is there harm um and then how delusion can be a good thing or a bad thing and the emotional component of meta leadership there is a lot of grist to mill in this conversation i'm glad to share it with you now here's my conversation and a productive one at that with constance derricks enjoy Constance, thanks so much for taking the time to join me today. For those that are listening now, we've been talking for like 25 minutes before we even really hit record about a variety of things. And uh, the book yeah. that I'm holding in my hands on my, on my iPad is uh, meta leadership, yeah. how to see what others don't yeah. and make great decisions. Uh, and so first off, thanks mm-hmm. for, thanks for joining me today. I really appreciate it.
0: Well, thanks, Mike. Thanks for having me.
1: So, as I started to go through the book, one of the things that I, one of the things that I really enjoyed uh, right out of the gate was this idea of dichotomous thinking. You know, the idea of thinking in black and mm-hmm. white, we actually just touched on that a little bit before we started the, the idea of too far left, yeah. too far right, nothing down the middle. Like let's have a bit right. of flexibility there. Um, you say like, mm-hmm. you know, as though that with any choice there's a clear definitive correct approach and equally clear wrong one. So, when it comes to meta mm-hmm. leadership, where where does mm-hmm. dichotomous thinking fit in and where does it need to kind of be, you know, what how do you, what's the one of the quickest ways or the simplest ways maybe to try to nip it in the bud or at least mm-hmm. recognize that it's happening.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, the, the easiest way to recognize it's happening is to notice it in other people, right? Because a lot of times when we learn about pitfalls or what I like to call invisible decision traps, the first place we see it in is in others. And that's okay, because it can be quite instructive. But once you see it in another person, you can ask yourself, when, when did I do that? Alternatively, you can do a quick retrospective. You can just do this in your mind. You don't have to write anything down. Just say, what are some mistakes I've made? What's, what's a mistake I made, say, in the last 90 days? Assuming your listeners made mistakes. Um, I know I do. And ask yourself, did dichotomous thinking, black and white thinking, have anything to do with the mistake that I made? And you might find that it did. You might not might decide that it didn't. But what I noticed about leaders that are really great and one of the reasons they see things that others don't is they they have a a greater ability to synthesize and not to average. So if you take something that's far left, something that's far right, you know, it's too purple or it's too orange and you shake it up, a lot of times what you get is muck. Mm. Or you get the lowest common denominator in an organization. Let's put all the opinions in a pile and average them or all the data. And what you really want to use is distinctions, but you want to put them together in novel ways, which is the source of creativity. So great leaders are synthesizers. If you think back to your chemistry background, you need a catalyst, right, to Mm -hmm. bring things together, But the cool thing about catalysts, and in this case, the catalyst being the leader, catalysts aren't destroyed in the process, which is so completely cool. So a leader can retain their ability to bring people together and synthesize solutions and ideas without, it doesn't cost anybody anything to do that. And it opens up a whole world of creativity.
1: So as we get into this, why Meta in front of leadership then? Because I mean, it's interesting. I've yeah. had conversations with people before where, where the distinction between being a leader and being a manager is there. Is there actually? We were talking about Costco before we really hit record, yeah. and one of the yeah. things that I kept getting overlooked for promotion after promotion after promotion in my early days. I didn't tell you this part uh-huh. yet, but and. I was really good at the hard skills, like the making of the food and doing all that stuff. And eventually I went to one of the the head office guys and he Mm -hmm. said, look, you've got all of the hard skills that we're looking for. You know how to, he goes, you need the soft skills. And by the way, I will say, how old was I at that time? I think I was like 21. So or twenty two. Oh, okay. So exactly, like back then. <laughs> You're forgiven. No, yeah, yeah. Back then, I was like, "What do you mean?" Which is exactly an example of why I don't know my soft skills yet. <laughs> exactly but, but, right. But but the thing is, is that when I think about leadership, that's where the like that kind of stuff comes in. But the meta part, like, can we dig into that yeah. a little bit? Because you've got the yeah. dimensions of it as well, which I which I found fascinating and also nodding my head at the same time that I was reading it.
0: Oh, I'm really glad to hear that. So meta is a prefix, Mark Zuckerberg. It's a (laughs) prefix. It's not a word. He's using it as a word. Okay, it's clever. Um, Meta is from the Greek, and it means above or beyond. So meta-analysis is something that's probably familiar to a lot of your listeners, where uh, I'll go back to my academic roots, and a meta-analysis is where you take a bunch of scholarly work that's been published and you look at the design of the experiments you look at the data you look at the analysis and then you you bring it together and you're trying to make some overarching so you're going above and beyond so meta leadership describes leaders who can they're like helicopters they can change their altitude In conscious ways, sometimes they just get so good at this that it's not conscious, but they can operate at 40,000 feet or four feet. They don't get stuck. So if you're really, really good, if you're a really, really good operator, Mike, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but you're not so good with human (laughs) beings that actually do stuff, um, what gets people into career trouble often is being stuck. And right. so we have to learn. Oh, there's another way. But what, you know? But what, I'm glad you didn't do this. When somebody's a really good operator, what you don't want to do is get them to stop being a good operator. You want them to add something and synthesize it into their normal behavior, so that it it, it becomes the Mike Vardy version of being a good leader or a good manager, not some checklisty transactional mechanical uh sort of a thing which i despise and a lot of advice to leaders is very technical very mechanical and so i'm i'm offering people a completely different model of leadership
1: what are the three the three elements you've got uh and I, I, one i'm looking at the highlight of one of them because i'm going to bring up this idea of life hackering okay. and how I have a love-hate uh, relationship with it. But the three dimensions, yeah. can you can we describe them a little bit for, for sure. the listeners?
0: Sure. So the three dimensions are thinking or cognition. And psychologists, um, we use a, a term called metacognition, thinking about thinking. The second part is emotion. The idea that we can divorce emotion from any part of our life, including major strategic decisions, is patently untrue. We could talk more about that. And the third is behavior. Now, why did I choose those three? I chose them because the research on behavior change, all the major theories are grounded in these three dimensions. Um, I used to work for a consulting firm and we were doing a lot of work at Best Buy. This was a while ago. And we taught change leaders in Best Buy about managing and leading change. And we taught them a model that we called Head, Hard Hands. Mm. And it was based on the work of people like Prochesk and Clemeni and Fisher and Fisher and all these boring scholarly people. But I, I want your listeners to understand that although I've been observing great leaders for 25 years, that this work is grounded in science. And I I hope what I did with the book was I merged my experience with what science teaches us.
1: So as I'm going through the thinking part, this is the life hack part. There's a, there's a particular quote that I saw. We use shortcuts to reduce uncertainty and make decisions faster, but they also Uh make us more prone to error. Yeah. I do love the idea Mm -hmm. of occasional life hacks. And, but what I don't like is the the term hack Mm -hmm. literally means to cut without care. Right, so that's what hack means. So yeah. when you hear life yeah. hacks, yeah, it's there is this element of cutting yeah. without forethought, like without thinking down the road necessarily. A lot of people that develop them, sure, are like, "Hey, put the keys in the same place every single time. Put the briefcase in front of the like the simple." But a lot of people, what they'll do is they'll create a lot of these shortcuts and quote life hack their de- their lives to death. I I want to dive into this idea of why we use these shortcuts, these hacks, to to a degree, mm-hmm. to reduce mm-hmm. uncertainty,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but not,
0: mm-hmm.
1: hmm, but let me be clear, but not in the best way possible for sustainability sake.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So why do we use these hacks when it's not in our interest to do
1: so. Right. We, we're, and yet, because it's, it's in the thinking portion, like we're thinking like, how do we make this better? But in the end, like, like this says, like Fair errors show up, right?
0: Right. Right. So why are we always looking for these hacks? Well, people don't like uncertainty. It makes us anxious. So now we're bringing together the emotion with the thinking. And this is one way emotion has a powerful effect on our judgment The more uncomfortable we are, the more we wanna reach for something. Um, Also, it's harder, it takes more energy to think systematically, perhaps a little bit more slowly. And we're impatient. And if you're a leader, if you're a manager, if you're a, a Boy Scout troop leader, a Girl Scout troop leader, you are going to get praised from time to time for being decisive. So it's sort of contraindicated that Mm -hmm. you're going to slow down. Daniel Kahneman talks about this in his uh, book, Thinking Fast and Slow, that, you know, basically we're lazy and we want to do the quick thing. I want to add to that. There's a physiological reason for this. One, I've already said, we don't like anxiety. We experience it as You know, my neck is tense, my back hurts, my stomach's flipping over, my hands are sweating. Yuck. How can I get away from this? But the other reason is that the largest consumer of glycogen in our body, glycogen being energy, is our brain. Our brain is basically this gigantic regulating thing that says oh the kidneys need more of this or the muscles need more of that and this all happens in a chemical and electronic network which is beyond my understanding how this (laughs) how this is certainly not understood by any dopey reductionist conversations about lizard brains which comes up as part of a debunked or or an abandoned theory of uh, brain development right The brain is a network and yes, we have specialized areas, but, you know, when your brain is used a lot of energy, you've been working hard, thinking hard for a long time, you, there's a physiological reason why you want to reach for a hack or a donut (laughs) or, or ice cream. And, you know, I have to say, if you're standing in front of me in line at an ice cream shop Mm -hmm. and you are, uh, Sort of interrogating the probably the teenager who's back there scooping ice cream about the fat content of every flavor. I really don't like you. Please make that decision. Please use a hack to make that decision.
1: Yeah. yeah. And it's, it, yeah. So for me, like the ice cream factor is like, I already know going in that it's either pink bubblegum ice cream or if it's not, then I better get the menu in front of me on my phone or something like that in advance. Like just. Sure. Because, and actually what's interesting is this, this comes up the idea of novelty. Like my wife and I will go out for dinner or things like that. And she'll be like, why do you have the same thing all the time? Breakfast. I have the same thing every morning. I have a Nutribullet shake for breakfast every day for lunch. I typically have the same thing. Dinner is my novelty time. And I don't <laughs> consider those to be hacks necessarily. It's, it, And I've talked about this in the work that I do, and it's related to productivity and time, definitely improving your relationship, is if you can have those those waypoints, it makes things so much simpler for you to navigate the uncertainty that lives outside of those, right?
0: Right. And what's the harm of you having the same breakfast and lunch, right? I think there's a benefit. And in fact... Um, I used to work in behavioral medicine. And one thing we know about people that are severely overweight and need to lose weight is if they make the decisions about what to eat before they're really hungry, before they're standing in front of their refrigerator. Um, I eat the same thing for breakfast every day. Um, And I chose it um because it has high protein it's got enough fat in it it's going to keep me going for hours etc so i did i made the decision one time very consciously now today i threw in some watermelon sure which was real which was which, really good
1: and that's the thing um, if you if you've yeah. got that base then it allows sure. you to have that flexibility that's the other thing sure. I, again this goes back to the black and white stuff the thinking of like yeah. you know well this is cuz that's the other thing is I think they'll go, this is what I have to do. I do this all the time this way. So therefore this is the, the way I should do it. And it's like, well, you, right. you just adding that little bit of differentiate that I think right. helps with the, well, frankly, it, it humanizes the situation because there's a lot of people that say that, you know, right. if you're too rigid, then you're too, you don't, you're not embracing the humanness of what's going on. And, and I think that there is this dance that we can do you have to have flexibility you have to you talked about it you talk about adaptability in this right and it's funny because in that battle between uncertainty and certainty Mm -hmm. a lot of people forget about the flexibility factor the adaptability but also you want to have some durability there so that you can have that right you know what i mean and the simpler things are i mean one of the things Mm -hmm. that you you touch on and this is actually, I think, apt, is that there's a delusion around that, is that you can't do it this way. But there are some good things about delusion that you discuss in the book as well. What? Oh, yeah. <laughs> which, which, to me, I found fascinating in relation to what we were just talking about. So can we go into that a little bit, like the idea of where sure. delusion fits and, and how it can be yeah. a, a good thing?
0: Yeah. So it, it's so a, a delusion that's not helpful are delusions that lead us to be stuck. So I have to eat uh, Greek yogurt with blueberries and raspberries and pumpkin seeds. Right. That's, that's, my, that's my breakfast. I really like it a lot. But, you know, if I'm on vacation with my husband and we're in a cafe in Paris, that's not what I want. <laughs> nope. so, so, But what if I were stuck in that? That's, right. That It's a delusion that that's actually making my life better. I mean, the goal for me is for people to have professional success and profound happiness. And I don't see those as dichotomous. So, But if we think of delusion as being uh, a creative sort of wild idea kind of a thing, if we treat it as a thought exercise and we inject some emotion into it, we make it fun, it could be a source of creativity. If you think back to, um, I, in the book, I talk about Arthur C. Clark and what his predictions were. He said, every house is going to have a computer and people can work from anywhere in the world. And he said that so long ago that people thought he was nuts, you know, and here we are. So it, a delusion can be useful if it leads to dreaming and creating strategies and if you can hold on to an outcome you're seeking uh, long enough for you to have what it takes to get there, I think it was Edison who said something about how, how tragic it is that people so often give up just before they were about to be successful. Now, the dangerous delusion is the one where you orient a whole company around your delusion. Right. And I was introduced to a Business unit president about 15 years ago, and he was just—he was—he uh, he was a legend in his own mind. Let's just say it that way. And I—I I was asked to meet with him by the CEO, who I knew very well. And he said, "Would you go meet with this guy and, you know, do your thing and come back and tell me what's wrong with him?" <laughs> you know, I mean, my referral questions are often. Uh, would you please talk to this person, or go over there and tell me what's ha- Tell me what's really going on. Right. That's that's often the referral question. So I met with this guy, and he latched on to every shiny object that crossed his field of vision. He would pivot an entire business unit and send people running off in a million directions. But he didn't have what you have, Mike. He didn't have Organizational and operational discipline. So he was the dreamer without the scaffolding.
1: Right, right.
0: And if we think about little kids, um, I know you told me you have children. I have two grown up kids. But when kids are little, when they're tall, when they're toddlers, they can go off in a room away from their parent or their caregiver quite securely if they are secure. That their caregiver is solid. Right. And you build that up. That's the scaffolding. Once the kid has the scaffolding, you take them to a play date and they're off on the other side of the room talking to some other toddler who doesn't speak, you know, they speak equally well or <laughs> equally poorly. Right right, right,
1: right, right. It's
0: the same idea. We all need a platform to stand on. But if we stay on the platform, we're stuck. If we live in the clouds, we 're equally stuck in our delusion we need both why
1: when I when I think about the emotional component which is one of the other yeah. the the other dimensions yeah um it, it this comes to mind especially as you know I'm, I'm exploring my own work with the realms of productivity ruthless reckless reasoned and mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. tend to think that we <clears throat> We lean either heavily into law. Again, this goes the black or white logic emotion, right? Like, but, and reason to me seems like it's in the middle, but I think a lot of people, when they use, you mentioned the checklist, right? The idea of the, of the, I got to check this off, check this off, check this off. And there now I'm, I've done the thing I've done the thing, but the right. emotional components to me seems like, and you mentioned this is really critical. Is it mm-hmm. because it 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 makes it relatable. I think, is that what it is? Or what do you think in terms of meta leadership that the emotion component is so critical for, for leaders to have so that they can in fact live up to this, this idea or this, this concept?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, if you think about a leader, a leader is trying to get people pointed in the same direction, get them using good processes to make progress Right. Right. But if the if the leader just is dry and unenthusiastic themselves, who wants to follow somebody that's this monotone, gray suited? Like it's not exciting. Right. We need a certain amount of excitement and novelty, which kind of pairs with our need for autonomy in our work. People need autonomy, a certain amount of autonomy to thrive. And this came to our awareness full-blown in the pandemic, right. right? When people were all, we were all at home and we are like, Ooh, I got my pajama bottoms on. <laughs> it. Nobody knows. This is really <laughs> cool. I like this, but we don't, we don't walk around saying I need autonomy. We walk around saying I want to work remotely. Right. Right. So we've taken an idea of feeling and we've put it into a specific tactic. Like if I can't work from home, I will not like this job and I will quit. Right. Well, but what leaders can do is they can say, there's a lot of ways to give people autonomy mm-hmm. and let's find ways that light people up right. to give them autonomy and let's get our need met to have people come together. That's just a very specific example. But I th- I think the idea that we can divorce ourselves from emotion is as ridiculous as we can turn our brains off if your brain is not functioning you're dead you are dead or soon to be dead
1: so let's let's lean into the distributed work thing because that's become a hot button issue you know initially it was hey everyone it's okay because we were thrust into it see this is a good example Mm -hmm. it wasn't like Mm -hmm. everyone overtly chose well time to not work it was it was something that we were thrust into i'm of the belief that it just, what happened, certain things within the, the, the throes of the pandemic were just accelerated. They were on their way to a degree anyway. It just, like, moved them forward at breakneck yeah. speed. What's right. fascinating to me right now, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this in relation to meta leadership is now we're seeing a lot of like, you got to come back. You got to come back with no, mm-hmm. and it's all, every story I've seen related to this, whether it's mm-hmm. tech companies, whether it's the world wrestling entertainment company, like all these different mm-hmm. companies are yeah. saying, we need you back in the right. office because uh it, it, we don't think you're being productive enough when you're not in the office, but mm-hmm. there have been, Insta- like, the, and I can't quote the studies right now, but there have been instances where it said like, look, it didn't really impact the bottom line all that much. As a matter of fact, um, you know, mm-hmm. the biggest problem I think that we're going to see mm-hmm. is commercial real estate collapsing. I think because there's no offices and things like that. Oh yeah. But to that yeah. end as a night owl, I, lo- I mean, and a lot of night owls love the fact that they could work at hours that suited them best on tasks, the autonomy part, right? Like I can work mm-hmm. on things later mm-hmm. in the day that are more creatively suited that I'm at my best for. Mm-hmm. And early in the day, you know, mm-hmm. or if I'm in a meeting early in the day, I'm still able to function because I'm not getting up early and ch- getting ready to commute to the office and so on and so forth. So I'd love mm-hmm. to hear your thoughts mm-hmm. on mm-hmm. how would, what would be an example of somebody who exhibit exhibiting meta leadership that would handle this. I'm not saying, Yes, we're going to stick with distributed. I'm saying that would handle Mm -hmm. this in a way that, again, would make people go, oh, okay, either this makes sense or even the leader going, you know what, maybe we don't need to go back to the way things were totally. Let's think Mm -hmm. about this from a different perspective. Do you have some thoughts on that? Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, it certainly is a big issue. Uh, The first thing is for a leader to use thinking about their own thinking to say, why Beyond why do I think I want everybody back in the office? You know, what are the benefits? What are the advantages? And when they say collaboration, Mm -hmm. then I want to know what's your evidence that collaboration was better when everyone was in the office than it is now? Is that that even true? Yeah. I, I love to use my assertions my own assertions as hypotheses. Sure. And I call it in the book, thinking like a scientist. Like it's a hypothesis and it's human and okay to be wrong about your hypotheses, but test them. So the second thing is for a leader to ask, where is the pressure coming from to come back to the office? Am I imposing the pressure? Is, you know, is my team ready for people to come back let's find out what the cause of this momentum to get people back in the offices and third is to get people to think in behavioral terms rather than these blanket statements i want to work at home i want you in the office or i want you know the leader wants you to be in the office well what what are the behaviors that we need from people and what's the best venue to get there? And how do we also serve the need of normal humans to have some autonomy? So, again, it's an act of synthesis. Right. Neither the old way nor the new way is going to work for everybody. But the leaders who make these big pronouncements about everybody back or you're fired, that's just authoritarian. Yeah. And we know that authoritative leadership works well. Authoritative parenting works well too, by the way, authoritarian, not so well.
1: Right, right. As we get close to wrapping up, I do want to touch on the behavioral stuff because as I was going through that chapter- if anyone who's listened to this before knows I'm big on journaling and a reflective practice, I think it's hugely undervalued and underused. I think I'm a broken record when I say this to my listeners, because they know that Mike, you're yes, you're big on journaling. We get that all that stuff. But I want to, there's a point in where we talk about, you talk about wisdom and then Mm -hmm. this redemption through reflection. And uh, Mm -hmm. it's fascinating to me that not enough, there's a lot of time spent in planning and strategy Mm. right Mm -hmm. and then there's a lot Mm of time i mean it's funny it's almost like we were talking about this before we record the film the idea of making a film Mm pre-production plenty of time production very minimal like 30 60 90 days Mm post-production which includes marketing and all that a lot of extra stuff going on there big long pronounced yeah but yeah in other area other arenas where we should be spending more time in quote post We don't necessarily Mm -hmm. do that. So I'd love to hear the thoughts on this. I mean, touch on some of the highlights from this redemption through reflection and maybe why we are resistant. Is it because uh, to reflection, if we are indeed, is it because there's no, can't check it off. Like you can't, there I did it. I reflected. I'm done. Right. You know what I mean? Uh
0: huh. It's
1: not a thing, right? (laughs) It's not a thing. Um,
0: the the reflection that that I like to talk about is in two at two points in time. Mm-hmm. One is prospective reflection, which sounds like a contradiction but it's it's using a process called pre-mortem and the second one is the well-known post-mortem. You do a big project, You plan, you plan, you hire consultants, you do all these things. You do the project. After the project, you do an after-action review or whatever, which is often done perfunctorily and focused on what went wrong. Meta leaders learn a lot from what is going well, who's doing something really well. The, The prospective reflective process I think is extremely wise and it works so beautifully. I do this with clients a lot where, you know, I'll be with a, a team of executives and we'll work on uh, clarifying their strategy. I always call it, let's clarify your strategy. Cause usually it's a big thick notebook and no one knows what's in it, um, <laughs> but we want to get it down to one sentence. like, yeah. I just did this with a client recently and we came up with one sentence and the whole room went, that's it. And I'm like, okay, great. That's good. So it's it's easy to keep track of. So then I said to them, tell me all the things that will go wrong in you trying to implement this. What do you know about yourselves? What do you know about your company that that allow you to predict mistakes? I'm not saying people are doing things wrong on purpose. You're just human error. Right. And so they go away and they think about it for 20 minutes and they come back and they identify a huge list of things. And then we say, which of these are pivotal? And what are you gonna do about it? Because leaders and managers have experience and they can tell you what's gonna happen. It's like prepping for your doctoral dissertation. You know, you get your friends together, they sit across from you, they fire questions at you, they act a little bit mean. You walk into your defense and there's nothing new, or there maybe there's one question new. So this this is reflecting on what hasn't happened yet. And then, of course, the one following is the one people are most familiar with. But here's the distinction that I make. You need to look for what worked well. So I was working with a company in the finance industry a few years ago, and uh, they had a bunch of account managers all over the US and Canada. And they they wanted to know, you know, what what distinguishes the good the good ones from the not good ones. Well, who were they paying all their attention to? Right, yeah. the problem children.
1: Yeah. Let's get them a coach. Yep.
0: But let's get them a five hundred dollar a month coach, right? Who's not going to help them it's, anyway? It's, it's the opposite of the eighty twenty rule. Train them. Yeah.
1: It's the opposite yeah. of the eighty twenty rule. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So I said, could I have the names of your top ten? account reps. And they gave them to me and I said, great, I want to go hang out with them. So I went and hung out with three, only three account reps, and I just got in the car with them and and I got them to talk to me about what they were doing. They were exquisitely good. The losses in their areas were so low. They were good predictors of when a customer was going to go from average risk to high risk. They could tell the chief risk officer, 21 days before anything happened that he could see. And I, and that's a good example of, you really want to look at the behavior, not just the outcomes. I mean, our data and accounting, those are things that have happened. Mm -hmm. These, these uh, it was two men and one woman. They were so exquisitely good. And I said, you've got to capture what they're doing and teach it to the others. And they were like, oh yeah, we never thought of that. Well, you know, these are sm- Let me just say this company was doing spectacularly well and they still do, and the leaders are smart. They just hadn't thought of it this way, that's all.
1: Constance, this has been a great conversation. We'll definitely have to continue it at some, at some point in the future. The book is called Meta Leadership, how to see what others don't and make great decisions. Where can people pick up the book and where can they keep up with your work?
0: Yeah. So you know you can order it online from the usual suspects. Yep. Amazon, Barnes and Noble. Um, Barnes and Noble um, has put a put at least one copy in every one of their stores, uh, which is really exciting. Um, it's also, I believe, it's now available in print in Australia. Um, my favorite way to consume my own book is mm-hmm. that I recorded the audible version myself. Nice. And the audible version has a bonus at the end. I do a conversation with Mark Levy, who's an internationally known expert in positioning and differentiation. He's the guy behind Simon Sinek's (laughs) Why. And I've been Mark's client on a couple of occasions. And then my website is ConstanceDerex.com. You can put it in your show notes. Will do. No one can be expected (laughs) to spell this name. And I have a, uh, I have a a meta leadership self-assessment on my website. That's absolutely free. And if your listeners are curious, it's a reflective sort of assessment bike. So you will really like it. Yeah. And, uh, Um, I'm happy for people to use it Mm -hmm. and then send me an email and tell me um, if it was helpful or what they wished I'd done differently.
1: Constance has been great. Thanks for having a productive conversation with me today.
0: Thank you for having a productive conversation. It was great fun.
1: Thanks to Constance for joining me on the program. You can check out all of the takeaways and related links at the website that I share all my show notes on, which is my website, productivities.com slash podcast 489. While you're there, check out the, uh, the email subscription that you can get. It's my weekly newsletter. um, And there's a few other broadcasts I send here and there. It's actually going to be at the bottom of the post of the show notes. You can subscribe there or just go to productivities.com slash attention. That way you get the writing that I share. That's what I love to do the most is write and share in, in lessons and, decision-making and leadership productiveness all that stuff so i'd love for you to check that out as well also while you're on the website productivities.com slash podcast sponsors that will lead you to all of the sponsors that you heard during this episode and when you check out that page and check out the sponsors there they know that we sent you help support the show another way to support the show which you can do right from the device you're using right now is just subscribe that way you don't miss a single episode of what's to come we bring back occasional episodes from the past we're doing that next week with next week's episode but it's just easier when you subscribe to find episodes that you're looking for from back in the day and also to make sure that you get whatever new episodes drop as they drop as well which would include bonus episodes as we release them which we do from time to time it's been a while but as we're in these summer months right now as we record this uh, now would be a good time to maybe go through your podcast listings and say hey what am i listening to What am I not listening to? How do I subscribe to something that I'm coming back to again and again? And keep in mind when you subscribe to a show, and this is just some little productivity hack here, uh, you can subscribe to a show, but if you don't want to listen to a show or it doesn't resonate with you, I do this all the time, then just skip that episode. But as a subscriber, you won't miss any of the good ones that come. And there's plenty of good ones out there. Not just my podcast, but lots of others. So check that out. Subscribe to the show. It's how podcasters know that what they're doing is having an impact and helping listeners like you until next time i'm mike vardy the host of a productive conversation reminding you to stop doing productive and start being productive see you later